When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sup Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we're going to start with some updates from Afghanistan, and then we're going to talk about the pandemic for a bit. Uh, Caitlin wrote this really impactful column. I found it very impactful in Dame that we want to talk about and just, um, I mean, visit this topic that we can't help but come back to, which is just that like, it's been 18 months and the promises we, uh, we made to ourselves to change have not really changed, have they? Not really. Not really. And we'll get into why and um, if there is any hope for the lack of willingness to change to itself change. But first, as I said, we'll start with some updates from Afghanistan. So we've seen mixed reports about people's ability to evacuate from the country. The Taliban is reportedly letting Americans with proper credentials. I don't know what proper credentials even means, uh, whatever that means letting Americans through to their evacuation flights based on a, I guess, agreement for safe passage with the Taliban and the United States. But there are also reports of others being stopped or prevented from getting on flights or to the airport at all. I saw a report about a uh, somebody who had helped the Australian military basically was shot in the leg trying to get onto a flight and luckily he survived. But looking out for more reports like that, there are also reports of the Taliban responding with force to protests and displays of public anger. Also really devastating here, the U.S. is investigating what appeared to be two individuals falling likely to their definitely to their deaths from a C-17 plane after human Marines were also found in the plane's wheel well. That plane also, I read, reportedly left with no evacuees, which I'm interested to hear why that was, especially because we all heard reports of another C-17 insisting on leaving with nearly 700 evacuees. People deserve answers about what happened there. In a press conference yesterday, the Taliban suggested women could maintain roles in public life in accordance with Sharia law or how the Taliban chooses to interpret that, but that they would have to remain covered. But there are also videos of women journalists reporting to work and female students going to schools. There are also reports of them being stopped from going to work and going to schools. According to the New York Times, witnesses shared several instances of this being prohibited to them. Um, So it seems like they're sort of still on our charm offensive, which makes things feel especially uneasy. But Caitlin, we haven't talked to you yet this week. And I've just been thinking about you as somebody. I mean, you lived in New York during 9-11, right? 
Uh, technically, it was my first day at of school. That's right. A second day of school at boarding school. So I had just left home for the first time. And um, my dad actually used to work at the municipal building. At the time 9-11 happened, he worked at the Muni building, which is, uh, if you know, no one knows anything about Manhattan. But um, it's downtown next to City Hall and basically like a 10-minute walk maybe at farthest from where the towers had stood. And in fact, the week before I had been down there, uh, actually in the World Trade Center, uh, doing some last minute shopping and kind of doing like a little goodbye tour to New York. So it was really like, of course, it like looms large and I cannot believe we're approaching 20 years later. Um, But this week, I've really been thinking about the Afghan people. Um, I've really, really been horrified by, I mean, there, there's been an incredible amount of callousness from the United States going all the way back. Um, there's been a lot of these mostly focusing on like what we feel, which is the most ridiculous yeah. thing I've ever heard. Um, I'm really thinking about, you know, we we imposed a war on their country um wouldn't let go there's a ceasefire offered in like 2002 wasn't taken um we we try you know spent all this time money energy violence on these political goals that were illusory obviously because within we spent 20 years trying to build a nation that's not our job but whatever yeah um trying to build a nation and it collapsed within like two days. So that kind of shows how meaningless the entire process was, except for the fact that it completely upended, tore apart, undermined thousands, millions of lives in Afghanistan. So I think, you know, like obviously as a New Yorker, Um, I wanted a certain measure of justice for what happened um, that day. And it was terrifying. I mean, I was 13 years old. I'd never, I've been first time really being away from home in any meaningful way, knowing I wasn't going to go back for weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my, my mom had been down there once or twice in the previous few weeks uh, accompanying some as an assistant accompanying some people that she worked for. Um, my dad was 10 minutes away, his normal job. I thought, oh my God, where are my parents? And people forget there used to be landlines. You All the landlines went down that day. So almost no one could call into New York and call out of New York. So we were all in the, like my, my school is like a third New Yorkers. So we were, all of us were terrified, young kids just trying to get in touch with our parents. Fortunately, we didn't, I mean, I was very lucky. Um, you know, I had, I had friends who, who had worked in the towers, family friends, and they escaped by the skin of their teeth kind of situation, just small things. It was primary day. Neither of my parents were anywhere close mm-hmm. to it because they were busy doing like leafleting and whatnot. So saved their lives right there. Politics. Yes. It involved. <laughs> That's save the your lesson. Life. Yeah. But it's really disappointing that, 
you know, what should have been a very focused mission evolved into the space where now our job really should be to evacuate as many people as possible out of the situation that we foisted upon them. Yeah. And I've been like, this might be a very dumb question. I've just been thinking about it because it's like, we're projecting a message and that seems to be the correct message that everybody who wants to get out should get out. But I also think about like, are we just giving up? I guess we're abandoning any hope that the Afghan people have a place, have a future for themselves. Like we're just going to let this brain drain happen. Do I sound like a neocon when I say this? Like a little bit. You can be honest. (laughs) It's just something I've been thinking about. It's like, is this where we at? We just have to abandon like, this is a better place for them. And the answer seems to be yes, but that was our fault. We caused that. And we had chances to intervene for that not to be the path, but we, we did it and completely botched it. So not only we, we don't just, it's not just like taking all the evacuees and then our hands are clean. We did such an excellent um, proactive thing for people. It's like, no, we did what we, what we owed them. We ruined their, their place. This isn't an, like an, an option. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, never send a military to do a state department's job. Um, and one of the, the biggest failures was not taking the ceasefire like 20 years ago. Oh my God. <laughs> how quickly we could have just been not been there. Um, I know. And, uh, accepting the ceasefire and most importantly, kind of thinking of Afghanistan as a Marshall plan kind of situation where we're going to have to pour, millions of dollars, billions of dollars, all the money that we spent waging war could have been all put towards helping foster the civic institutions that were already present so that people can make decisions about how they want their country to look. Um, Because overwhelmingly, like that's the, the essence of a republic is that people have an, a say that every citizen is an equal and as basically you expanded citizen to mean person who lives in the country as much as you can and give them a say in how the country functions. And instead of doing that, we occupied everything and then basically threatened the Taliban for a while. And it didn't make any sense because they're, they're basically a faction a, a political armed faction inside the country. And it was always going to happen that way. And then again, I don't think we have the right to go around telling anybody how to yeah. run their country when we've let Donald Trump do shit. And like we had an insurrection a few months ago. I'm so sorry. Totally. I'm never going to let this go. There's an insurrection a few months <laughs> well, ago where armed a- people took over our capital. So and remember when we said how weak that made us look? Like, yeah, we looked really fucking weak and then we watched it happen in a different country, but obviously on a completely different level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we're having trouble dealing with ourselves right now. The idea that like we should go around telling Afghanistan what they should be doing. Like it's clear that our mindsets are not in the right place to keep democracy going. Yeah. I read an essay this morning. The author's name was um, Rafia Zakaria and she actually just wrote a book called, um, it's called Against White Feminism, Notes on Disruption. I'm going to see if she can come on. But she she, she, she talked about this specifically in this sort of projecting white feminism onto people. And not only was that is that just always misguided, but it, it made it so easy for the Taliban and people willing to go along with them to discredit that because it's like, 
yeah, okay, you made all these advances in feminism, but that was all Western feminism. And we all agree we don't like the West. So we can just abandon all of these things because it was so, we were always been so insistent on like, just get these people jobs and companies and make them capitalist girl bosses. And then it will all be fine. And obviously when another, when we leave and the vacuum fills, it fills with something completely incompatible with what we insisted they have to be. Yeah. I mean, the Western chauvinism is like centuries old at this point uh, to the degree that people don't even notice it's happening unless you are you live outside of the paradigm. And, you know, the, uh, again, our major concern should have been letting people make decisions and just being like, here's the money. It, coincidentally, this is also the answer for things inside the United States. Instead of trying to create programs that like help black people, just give us money. You, like yes, you're owed yeah. a bunch of money and you can just give us the money and let us make decisions and we'll, we'll figure it out. It'll, it'll work out fine. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that article also had like reference for some $150 million program and like nobody could figure out for this from the state department, just, just, you know, like women's empowerment and nobody could figure out where the money went or if there was any impact whatsoever. And it's like, can you just imagine if you had given these women $150 million? And also, you know what, say what you're going to say about like, what if it falls in the right hands? All our shit is in the Taliban's hands right now. They have it all because we failed. So I'm not, I mean, the, the 20 years of obviously, frankly, at this point now, we know gaslighting that has so clearly come to the fore with how this ended. I mean, I feel like, do you think it took this ending for, for us to collectively like admit that this was an absolute failure? I mean, yeah, I, it's, you know, people are comparing to Vietnam, which I feel is there are a lot of issues with that, but fundamentally is this loss of American uh, Americans have this very, again, chauvinist, view of our own country that we can do anything blah 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 blah, and like that was the first vietnam was the first time in the 20th century where we went to go fight a war and we lost and it's because again these lack of clear directives this willingness to kind of do anything to stop some abstract force like you can't do that and from from this perspective it is you know we need so we didn't learn the lessons we should have. Everyone was like, yeah. if we just stayed in Vietnam, we could have held out. There's a whole bunch of people who are like Vietnam dead enders. Many of them have left our politics because, you know, time happens in entropy. So they're no longer with us. But, <laughs> but that's the same thing with Afghanistan. Afghanistan was the second opportunity to stay forever, to stop the large cultural menace that, that lives in opposition to the United States and what we stand for. All these people are actually talking about women's rights and everything. I think it's really important. I think women's rights are extremely important. I'm not discounting that. But then why are we friends with Saudi Arabia? Let's have a discussion. If we're going to talk about, well, we really love women's rights and we believe in them. We didn't go into the war for women's rights. I didn't hear that. I wasn't like, yeah, we got to go into Afghanistan for the women's rights. I mean, you did once we were there from the people, these a lot of white feminists who like. It was a great way for them to raise money, like help these oppressed women in Afghanistan. And I ended up projecting a lot of things that are just like not. Not going to stick lots of 
lessons, many of them unlearned. We'll pivot to our next area of unlearned lessons, which are from the pandemic. Oh, before we before we pivot, I wanted to add as well that uh, I mentioned yesterday we were trying to raise $10,000 for the International Women's Media Foundation yesterday. We ended up raising 14, which was very exciting. Yeah, so they are they are really we've been communicating with them. They are directly working on this. Um, I generally, I feel weird sometimes about fundraisers because I just feel icky about being a gatekeeper, but it was very encouraging to see people's reactions. So we'll definitely do more of those with more input from people on a more regular basis. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready 
in less than 30 minutes. Oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes. Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash feverdream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S dot com. So today we will talk about unlearned lessons of the pandemic so far. One person who has yet to learn a damn thing this pandemic is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. The governor tested positive for COVID yesterday. He immediately began antibody treatment despite not having any symptoms yet, or that was the claim. Regeneron is the antibody cocktail is generally given to people expected to get very sick. That was a tell of how we knew that um, Trump was probably not doing super well or they were worried about him. But the 63-year-old governor, he's fully vaccinated. Uh, He's isolated at his home, which I'm sure is lovely. Uh, At the same time, he's refusing to let schools keep dense groups of children safe by masking them. Videos from the night before he tested positive, they show him socializing at a fundraiser with lots of people, nobody wearing masks. Apparently it was him that said masks were optional. And in his state, more Texas hospitals are reporting a shortage of ICU beds than at any other time in the last 18 months. You might not be seeing as quick of a death rate in Texas, but that's because fortunately their older population is quite heavily vaccinated. So those people aren't getting sick and dying. It's people, younger people that are being hospitalized or younger people probably to a certain degree can include a 63 year old. Meanwhile, Abbott's ban on mass mandates in schools scored a state Supreme Court win over the weekend after bouncing around the courts. But education officials are defying him with some I even read are trying to make mass part of the school dress code to work around that specific ban, which is just kind of a, a, a very gratifying turn of events when dress codes are usually used to punish kids to use them to protect them. <laughs> Were you surprised to hear that Governor Greg Abbott had tested positive for COVID-19? Um, well, as surprised I am as water is wet and the sky is blue. Yeah, precisely. I feel like it's about like finding out that GOP politicians got COVID is about as surprising as finding out they have mistresses at this point. Abbott is actually the 10th governor to test positive. It is six. It's been six Republicans and four Democrats. So whatever that means, I'm sure it means something that two extra Republicans tested positive. As I said, Texas hospitals are reporting more patients than ICU than at any other point in this pandemic. 
And that's happening while there's enough vaccine in this country for every single American to be vaccinated soon, even with a third dose. So I think it's hard for a lot of us to see how this turns around at this point. With the first week of March 2020, within that first week to a couple of weeks, there was such a dominant conversation about not just what's happening acutely in that moment, which is really intense, but just how much it exposed about our society and political system and aspects of our governments are just are not set up to take care of us. And that felt like a, a moment that the, that we were all agreeing that was something we wanted to change. We had a really strong sense of feeling fed up then. And that was 18 long months ago. So Caitlin, in your piece, you kind of look at this and we have had so much time to change, to pivot. I'm curious, what specific changes did we fail to make? But more broadly, is this a political problem or is this a, like a social societal problem that we're not able to collectively make TK changes that would result in a more just, healthy world for all of us to get us out of this thing? Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, until the uh, end of democracy. <laughs> 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 we're good <laughs> that's the longer answer no um in a in a longer answer i mean the nature of representative government is that any social problems kind of manifest as political problems right and political problems manifest as social problems the two are intertwined um the united states has always had a really individualistic culture um that has, I mean, not always, not always, always. I mean, sometimes people are like, we've never done this. And I like, literally, I was just uh, doing some research for something else I'm working on. And I like glanced back to, to the Berlin airlift, otherwise known as the Berlin blockade, which was in 1948 after the Soviet Union decided that Berlin, which existed in East Germany at the time since they partitioned Germany, uh, and the city was split into four quadrants. And there was a British, French, and American set of quadrants. And then there was a Soviet quadrant. And then the Soviets were like, actually, because y'all are in our territory, none of your quadrants count we are taking over everything and you can't get any access in. So canals, roads, any kind of shipping that was normal at the time could not be done. And that was, they were going to starve the city out. Basically that was the plan. Um, and the United States was like, nah, we don't, we don't feel that. So they decided to buy air, deliver food and supplies. Now at, I need to talk about how logistically that is insane. But the point is, is that for 11 months, the United States supplied exclusively by air the city of Berlin with over 2.3 million tons of supplies and food. That is a country that can get shit done. And that was mm -hmm. not an individual who was just so awesome. One pilot successfully doing all this. This was yeah. a huge government effort all of us pitching in together to make this thing possible. Yeah. The yeah. Brits, the French, like this was a huge multinational, multi-pronged. And like, if we're capable of that, I don't see why our society decided that it wasn't necessary to even try to support people through an unprecedented global pandemic for more than, we haven't faced this for more than a century. 
And people just like America just gave up. And that really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're seeing in Texas and Florida the types of things that we would all be on Instagram making a fuss about if they were happening in different countries saying Biden needs to help with this and needs to do this. And yet we're just letting these governors who 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 knows if they'll ever face any consequences just like fucking around. I mean, you but you seem hopeful that this like could change. What has to make this change? I mean, as you were talking, I was I was we're talking about the pandemic, but I'm thinking still about like the Afghanistan transports and the big plane we did see leave. I, I saw quoted a lot was that, um, oh, well, the crew made a choice to leave. It shouldn't be a choice. It should be a policy. It shouldn't be that we're relying on a bunch of people to make the right compassionate choice when it was very easy for them to go ahead and and take take off, you know, like we've we've done this before. These are huge logistical. I don't know. I think I think you put this in your in your piece, but it does often strike me as an end of history thing where we just can't seem to register that we are still in a phase of history where unbelievably catastrophic events happen with regularity and we have to do everything it takes to respond to them. I think that's like the fundamental barrier for people. Yeah, I also think that there's a certain amount of like I talked about nostalgia too. And the sense that like those choices that people made in their moment to confront their problems of their day are treated as inevitabilities. Like they were always going to end segregation. No, that was never, that was a set of choices people had to actively make. That was not inevitable. There's no inevitable end to legal segregation in this country. There's no inevitable end to world war ii like that that was a set of people all collectively making tons of choices to try to fight back that was not it you know like oh well it was it was obviously going to happen that way and the same thing with the civil war anytime you go back you have to recognize that people didn't know how it was going to end and made choices to try to bring those results to come to pass and you have to and there were people who were fighting against them the entire time who did not want the civil war to end with the united states intact they did not want this the world war ii to end with the nazis and imperial japanese defeated they did not want like there's all this stuff it was like there was a whole bunch of people half of the conflict was just fighting them (laughs) to get to this place and we treat it like it's it's done and over and the same thing i'm genuinely unsure if all republican governors want the pandemic to end genuinely unsure yeah, they want people to be. This is the most. I. I mean, I'm. I'm working on other things too. But like, the point is that they want people to die. I. Can't, there's no other way to explain it other than they would rather die than live in solidarity with political, emotional, psychological solidarity with people they despise. That is just true. They would rather die. Yeah. That. that Yep. Yeah. Yep. So finally, what what incentives are there in the political system that make this social change so difficult? Because since I guess last year, I don't know, since the Trump administration, everybody's buying in. Everybody on Instagram is freaking out and yelling at each other all the time. People want to make huge social changes in how we interact and what we owe to each other. But what what is preventing that? Is it is it the incentives of the political system alone keeping that from happening? 
I mean, there's a lot and, of and, the, and capitalism. Yeah, I was about to say late capitalism. Yeah. This, is, this is where you get to. I mean, we've watched billionaires become like literally trillions of dollars wealthier off of the suffering, like literally because they have they chose to extract wealth from people, wages, opportunities, safety, health, rather than leave that money and invest it into the people at the bottom. Like that could have, we could have organized our system that in an emergency situation, more money floods into people who need it most. I mean, Elon Musk don't need no money. Jeff Bezos doesn't need any money. Nobody who makes, I I would argue the the top 10% worldwide, I think is a hundred thousand dollars or more. I'm not quite sure any of those people were super struggling and needing money. Um, And that kind of, makes you ask like why was why did all of our resources go to people who can't use them like they can't they literally cannot spend that money and versus the people who are like stealing food to survive which is a thing that we're seeing now massive upticks and shoplifting of essential items so i think the reason the the system doesn't want to change i mean america hasn't wanted to change for a while like I mean, look at Afghanistan, like it's been 20 years and we just like stayed there because we were like, I guess, like, what else are we going to do? Like, not be here for 20 years. It's been 17 years, 18 years since we were in Iraq. We're still technically there, (laughs) drawn down significantly. There are no new deployments the same way, but it's still present. And it's like, we don't want to let go and think about who we could be. And there's this obsession with like who we've been and everyone's doing it. And I, Joe Biden himself with the whole, you know, back in the day and yeah. I know the Senate and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, stop talking about what we were because it's done and dead and over with. Yeah, we don't want to build back better. We want to build something better. Yeah. Build forward better. Build, yeah. build forward better. <laughs> because like I, I just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I it doesn't it doesn't quite quite have the same the same rhythm but I think that it's really important for all of us especially to be be invested in people who are starting to talk about problems looking forward and thinking about like okay so we've we've this pandemic has taught us things we have a free vaccine it should have ended it yeah. <laughs> like that should have ended it the fact that there are people who would rather die than live in political solidarity with people they just <laughs> they just despise is mm-hmm. a is a cultural and social problem that is not going to be solved by niceness. It's only won by dominion. You basically yeah, have to a, force it's people. A, it's pathological. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's pathological. So my I was having a discussion with my parents and they were like, you know, he shouldn't have made it optional. He should have said, hey. You know, by July, here's my standard. By July 4th, I'd like this many people vaccinated and be like, do whatever you do, state level, whatever. After July 4th weekend, we will be instituting federal mandates. So you have this much time to get your shit in order. Right. And then we will force you to. And there will not will be federal mandates on on indoor masking, federal mandates on, you know, uh, vaccination federal mandates, like all of these things, you have to be vaccinated in order to participate in society because we can't have a society where people are spreading disease. But 
that just feels obvious to me, but I don't know, maybe people really loved smallpox and are, have been missing it this last half century. It's bizarre. That is our show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.